You have questions? We have answers. We're two Southern moms on the backside of raising kids. And we have some things to say. We've lived life, made mistakes, and learned some lessons. Join us for answers to the questions you just want to ask your mom. Welcome to another Just Ask Your Mom podcast. I'm Bonnie Blaylock. And I'm Renee Sproles. And today we're doing, we're launching a three-part series. We've never done a series before, so this one's kind of interesting. And it's going to be about uh, why can't I get my kid to eat? I'm so excited about this. You know how much I love food, Bonnie. Yes. So I knew Renee was going to be like ragingly passionate about the subject. So <laughs> we have seven pages of notes to get through today. <laughs> She's going to do all the parts. But um, in case you didn't know, I just wanted to know FYI for our listeners, Renee actually has... Or has had her own cooking show at one point. <laughs> if you don't follow her on Facebook, right. you can see that. I think it's on YouTube, isn't it? Yes, uh, it's on YouTube. So please, I think I have seven followers. See, it's, so, really, it's a really raging success. It is. It is. <laughs> well, I'm a big fan of it anyway. So, uh, okay, well, let's just get started. So a lot of um, problem for American families. You know, we call our kids picky eaters. Why can't I get my kid to eat? They won't eat anything. They don't like anything. So what do you think the source of that problem is? Well, when I was thinking about this, because, you know, I, I do believe food is such a joy and, and such a source. It's a daily thing. Yeah, we, we all have to do it. Every day. We do it multiple times a day. We eat. And so um, I was thinking about this, and I think we need to look at ourselves first. We need to examine our eating habits. Are we picky? What foods do we gravitate to and mm-hmm. why? Mm-hmm. And when do we reach for food? Yeah. And um, so do you skip breakfast and fail to eat until you're hangry I know David would come home when I was staying home with the little people and he would be like when was the last time you <laughs> ate something and so I was guilty of that so yes. of not feeding myself properly or are you a picky eater mm-hmm. or maybe your spouse is a picky eater okay. and you're, you're dealing with that so we've said it again and again on this pad- podcast that kids learn how to do life in families they learn how to speak words that build up or words that tear down they learn how to handle arguments and disagreements. They learned about friendship by interacting with their siblings. And they learn how to eat by how we eat. Yeah. But just like anything else, mm-hmm. just like animals in the wild, you know, with the lions, they go out and feed, <laughs> bring him the carcass. Here's what we're having. Dig in. Yeah. Yeah. So in a study conducted by Stanford University, there were two identical meals and they presented these meals to children. And one was in a plain wrapper and one was in a package from a popular fast food chain. And even young children associated better flavor, better taste with the one that was packaged in the fast food wrapper. Mm -hmm. Advertisers got it going on. They know what they're doing. Yeah. So even, you know, if you're doing your best at home, marketing and just ads and things like that have an effect on what your child perceives as yummy. So we should be better marketers to our children. We should. And that's what we hope to help our listeners do. So, all right. Food writer B. Wilson Um, had some really good things to say uh, for parents struggling to get their children to eat their vegetables. And she first thing she says is we have far greater power than we believe. Yeah. Don't don't necessarily give in at the first wine or the first sign of struggle or the first I don't really like that or yuck. Absolutely not. I mean, yeah, we just believe in your power to create a food culture in your home that's really positive. Mm -hmm. So she has a book um, titled First Bite, and she examines how genetics, culture, memory, and early feeding patterns contribute to our food preferences. 
And she says we can form our child's palate even before birth. So that's where we're going to start. That was so interesting to me because, you know, everybody's, (laughs) well, a lot of us have pregnancy cravings, right? Yeah. I loved KFC mashed potatoes of all things. I don't know why. I never have gone to KFC since, but... So it was funny. It was that. So I, my kids like mashed potatoes. They both do. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I don't really have a sweet tooth and I craved double stuff Oreos with Houston and powdered sugar donuts with Emma. <laughs> and then like it stopped as soon as they were born, like no more sugar craving. Yep. So weird. It is weird. So our kids are getting that in the womb. So let's talk about that. There's been studies that have been done showing that if someone eats a lot of garlic when they're pregnant, the amniotic fluid will smell and taste garlicky. Who's tasting it? Yeah. I mean, Ew. you can't interview a, a newborn. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but if you're swimming around in that amniotic fluid that has these strong flavors, maybe jalapeno or chilies. Ooh, how do you get through pregnancy heartburn with all that going Garlic. On? Yeah. You know, a lot of it is... Um, conditioning and that will taste like home that's this that's like a primal oh like smell like those senses that you yeah um, yeah incorporate in your memory and so I mean think about moms who have really difficult pregnancies and have such a limited amount of things they can eat with really bad morning sickness and things like that that would affect your what you're gonna be prone to like later on yeah what your children might be interested in huh so just good to know we're not trying to keep mom guilt on you here if you didn't eat well during pregnancy (laughs) moving forward yes you maybe can they'll change. have a happy memory of powdered sugar donuts and you can also move on to right. healthy foods like we did right <laughs> so the same is true once the baby is born as if you've nursed at all you know okay if i eat broccoli my baby's probably going to be gassy or if i eat onions you know they're going to taste that too in, in your breast milk yes yes and and mom's fine they there's certain foods maybe that their child has an allergic reaction to so i have mm-hmm. a mom friend who had to stop eating eggs and dairy while she was nursing and that's a big bummer yeah that's a big bummer when you you have to limit stuff in in your own diet for the sake of your child yes and so moms who feed their infants formula that's a consistent flavor every single day Mm -hmm. much less variety so they may be a little less inclined to be adventurous eaters right off the bat because they're used to this consistent flavor and then all of a sudden you get a big change when solid food gets introduced or something different. Exactly. And this was so interesting to me. There's a type of formula called hydrolysate. It's designed for babies who can't tolerate regular cow's milk. And to adults, it has a horrible aroma, a musty flavor. But babies who've been reared on it love it. When they are introduced to foods that are sour, mm-hmm. they love it. Because it's a familiar flavor to that formula they've been drinking during those first few months of life. So that really kind of talks about, it's kind of just what you're used to. I mean, yes. in China, yes, they're going to have very different flavors than we do here in America. And that's just what they're going to be used to. It's Absolutely. Like speech development. You're going to be able to say certain diphthongs and sounds in certain countries. And once you get it past a certain age, it's a little harder for you to develop that. I know speech. when we traveled to Mexico, we... Um, were, we saw a group of young children, I think they were kindergartners, maybe five years old, going through line for lunch. They all dumped pickled jalapenos into their bags of corn chips. Kindergartners. I mean, kindergartners, like spoons full. Mm. And they loved it. So they, I was like, these kids have to be conditioned to tolerate heat so <laughs> yeah. much more than American children. It was uh-huh. shocking to me. So it just shows we've got flexibility here, people. Yeah. 
it's not just a one and done and all kids like bland flavors or all kids are always going to gravitate to chicken nuggets and fries. Right. There's a lot of, uh, I don't know, just there's a lot of flexibility in right. what you can offer your child. Yeah. Same with, same with language. You think you, kids learn, you know, can learn multiple languages the younger they are, the easier they learn it. Yes. Same with flavors, I think. Yes. Yeah. So, so all that plasticity in the yep. brain and the body. Right. Use it. When they're Use little. Baby-led weaning. Which uh-huh. is a thing I didn't really know about when we were raising our kids, but a lot of my young mom friends are doing this. Okay. And it's popular in the United Kingdom. It's where when your baby's six months old or older, you could jump straight to finger foods. None of that mushy mush. No cereal. No cereal or like pureed fruits and vegetables. It's like soft, tiny bite size foods that you like introduce. Peas and carrots. Uh, pieces of soft. avocado. I mean, pears would have to be cooked to soften them up. Apples have to be cooked to soften them up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it teaches them how to chew and swallow. And the baby is more in control of how much they're putting in their mouths because they can pick it up right. with it's their like fingers. The Cheerio. By that age, you kind of had that Cheerio pincher grass yes. going on. And you can yes. feed yourself that instead of having mom open the hanger here comes the airplane with this spoonful of you know right which we'll get to because we're going to talk about the french and they don't believe in this baby's picking up food with their fingers so we can talk about that later so okay the the uk likes it the u.s is really liking it the french say no (laughs) (laughs) not so much (laughs) not so much but the american academy of pediatrics is now saying about six months to introduce solid foods which was not what we were told no ours was more like three or four yeah Mm -hmm. cereal at three or four months and baby foods by six five or six i guess right in the kitchen cooking up the apples and the onions from my little baby food cookbook (laughs) i thought that is so weird (laughs) caramelized onions and apple but she loved it yeah because how did she doesn't know not to she love it yet? No, not to love it. That's right. So there's a and there's a whole list of foods we'll have on our um, website that follow that approach. If you're interested in learning more about baby led weaning, they have recommended soft foods, things that they can not yeah. a choking hazard, right? Things like that. Okay. Stages, different stages. Okay. So I thought one of the interesting things that uh, approaches to food that you brought to this with that book that you're reading is there's three kinds of parents in general, really, but also feeders the way we feed our kids the way we approach parenting it's also can be categorized the way we approach food food so that is those three are authoritative authoritarian or indulgent okay yes so authoritarian and just sort of see which one you are as i'm saying this that's like um maybe force feeding or just kind of any form of saying you must eat this the clean plate club Right. Which if you're of a certain age, you know exactly what we're talking about. You stay at the table until your plate is clean or else. Right. Which creates terrible eating habits in adulthood. Yes. You don't know. You don't. You're not recognizing the stop button when your tummy says I'm full. No, it's just we have to eat this because there are starving children in China. Right. And everyone must eat everything on their plate. Yeah. Um, I had a little bit of that. I mean, I kind of remember those phrases, but we had a very large family and we kind of just learned to eat. It was sort of fend for yourself, you know. If you don't eat what you have, there's not going to be any more later on. So you had to eat what was presented. It really wasn't a lot of picky stuff or you can't leave the table. That's a beautiful dynamic for a large family, though, is to just eat what's presented. because And, and the motivation being, you know, you're going to be hungry later. Mm-hmm. And there's probably not going to be leftovers in the fridge. Because your brother will have eaten it all. That's right. <laughs> that's right. My, yeah. uh, my son-in-law came from a larger family. He said that's definitely the case. 
you know, yeah. if there were leftovers in the fridge, you jumped on that. <laughs> That's right. Pronto. I loved occurs. when they were dating. He would come over to the house and always eat the leftovers in my fridge. It made me so happy. <laughs> Clean out that fridge. Yes. Oh, so that can lead to, I would imagine, um, you know, eating disorders. Because like you said, your, your natural regulation of your body of when am I full and when am I hungry doesn't really matter right so th- this is different if your parent is making you clean your plate every time that's different than having a big family and you going i think i want to go ahead and eat this right because so just to make that distinction yeah the clean plate club can definitely lead to just dysfunctional eating habits yeah um not and not knowing hey this is when i'm full i stop mm-hmm. you know i don't i don't have to always clean my plate mm-hmm. now and then there's the indulgent okay that's the other end the, the other spectrum. end of the spectrum yep it stems from loving intentions. I mean, I think both of them do stem from loving intentions, but it's not helpful. So you just respond to in- only what they like to eat. So I hear moms say this. They're, they're like, oh, they don't like peas or they don't like carrots. And th- we're talking about like a one-year-old. I'm thinking, you don't know. Mm-hmm. They don't know. <laughs> you got to introduce these foods over and over and over and right. over again to really determine preferences. So there's no sense also of are you really hungry when they ask for food. Food could just be something they want because they want to play with it or they just okay. like chewing it or crunching it or, or whatever. So, I mean, we know indulgent parenting does not lead down a good road. No, it's it keeps them happy for right now, but not in the long run. You're going to bring lots of problems on your head in the long run if you do that consistently. Yes, yes. so... Don't do that, moms. If you if you think you're being indulgent with your children, now is the time to repent. Like you're the you're the one that knows. You're the authority. You, know. that's you right. are. That's why they call you the parent because you're supposed right. to know better and <laughs> do better for them who cannot and who don't know right now. And as we were talking about earlier before we started this podcast, short term pain is long term gain, especially mm-hmm. in this area. Yeah, for sure. We've we've heard that again and again um, in lots of our episodes. It's really true here. So don't be indulgent with your children. So then the third category is authoritative. So an authoritative feeder is going to demand that the child eat well. Like you're not going to just, it's not going to be potato chips and candy canes all day long. You're going to give them good food that's good for them um, and be highly responsive to the child and their needs. So if they say no, I don't like that or I don't prefer that or no thank you loving mother for preparing this for me. I do not love that. That's fine. They don't have to maybe eat it, but they're also not going to get to pick from whatever else they want in the pantry. Yeah, I, 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 because I love food so much and I love to cook, I was definitely authoritative. So you had to take a bite at our table, a single bite. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking small. Yeah. The tiniest little nibble on the tip of your tongue and you could refuse it, but there were no snacks later. Like yeah. that was the consequence. Now, if they ate a good dinner or said probably not dinner, but if they ate a good breakfast or lunch and then they were hungry later, I would be fine to feed them again mm-hmm. because I knew they had eaten an adequate amount of food. Mm-hmm. But if you didn't eat what was presented, you didn't get a snack. Right. We did the same thing. We did the same thing. It just teaches you, well, hunger is a very good motivator. <laughs> that is a fabulous motivator. And we're afraid of that in the, in the U.S. I'm not sure why we're afraid for our children to be hungry. Yeah. But we are. Right. We're terrified of um, our child to be hungry. Be, well, any unpleasantness, I think. Any unpleasantness at all must be avoided at all costs. And that is not necessarily true. Unpleasantness is a wonderful teacher. I'm not talking cruelty. And I'm not talking abuse. I'm just talking basic, yes. small unpleasantnesses. 
slight discomfort. Yeah, slight discomfort. Just it's okay to feel. Like you were talking, like in a big family, you knew maybe there weren't enough leftovers or you, you didn't get that second scoop of food you wanted. That's a motivator for you to think about next time you're eating. Okay, do I really, yeah. do I want to finish this? I probably should finish it. Slight discomfort. Yes. To <laughs> like not, have not a, cruel at all. <laughs> to have a healthy eating perspective. So, okay, these are, this is good information. It's interesting. But the big question is, how do we help our kids learn to eat well? Because picky eating, it seems to be ubiquitous in our country. Yes. Okay, so picky eating is not the same as having allergies. It's not the same nope. as like a texture sensitivity or, you know, if your child has some special needs or is on a spectrum of some kind. Those are real issues that right. are going to have to be worked through. That is not what we're talking That's about. That's not this episode. Set that aside. Yeah. We're talking about healthy children who just are displaying picky eating tendencies or maybe you've let you've allowed your child to get entrenched in this mindset or this this habit of picky eating yes now we talked about in a previous podcast um the rise in childhood anxiety and how when you allow that over and over and over again like there was this one family in the article that we reviewed that only gave their child what was it like ham loaf turkey loaf turkey loaf and that's all the child ate period everywhere they went they had to take it with them so it, you see the short-term pain <laughs> can stop that kind of nonsense and help the child learn how to cope with the real world yes so so to help us in this endeavor we are going to turn to the french okay one of the best countries in the world to learn from in, in a lot of parenting ways i really appreciate their culture in parenting in a lot of ways and food for sure. They have such a positive, healthy approach to eating. We have so much we can learn from them. Okay. So I'm not, I don't know anything about the French. I'm kind of on board for this conversation, just like you are listeners. So we'll just, we'll see. Okay. We'll agree on this. Let me introduce you, dear <laughs> listeners, to the author, Karen Lebion. And she wrote a book called French Kids Eat Everything, How Our Family Moved to France, Cured Picky Eating, Banned Snacking, and Discovered 10 Simple Rules for Raising Happy, Healthy Eaters. Okay. Wouldn't you want that? A happy, healthy eater? <laughs> it sounds easy. Oh, it's just beautiful. No, it's not easy. Just wait till you read like the we beginning pages of her book. But French children, are they're characterized by happily eating everything that's presented to them mm-hmm. and most of what's presented to them is healthy and that's not all because child obesity in france is significantly lower than in many other countries so how does this happen well they have a really good food culture not only do they have healthy uh, food approaches in their homes they also have like government and school backing them up Mm, the schools are going to support this just wait till you hear what they serve in their cafeterias it's astounding (laughs) i want to go back to school and go to france so the story is uh that karen and her husband who's from france okay um moved to his hometown and it was in northern france and they had two small girls one was in like daycare age and uh one was like kindergarten okay when they moved and she arrives there and she's shocked because these French kids are eating everything from beets to broccoli, salads to spinach, mussels, muesli. They eat everything, <laughs> like all the things. And the French are very appalled at the way she feeds her children and the, the patterns of feeding, the times of day and whatnot. So it was her journey 
of kind of learning, hey, there's a, there's a lot to be said for how the French um, approach food. So she, in this book, has so many funny, funny stories. It's definitely worth picking up if you are interested in this. But she has 10 food rules that she came up with based on her time living in France with okay. her two girls. So I think these rules will help our listeners, if this is really important to you, really help you achieve an awesome food culture in your home. So, okay, first I have to ask, what is the difference in general? In America, I would say, just by experience and observation, we have come up with this three squares a day right? Um, mentality. This is what you have to do, you know, meet in three, three squares a day. And yeah, if you want a snack in between, that's fine. Probably a dessert after dinner, something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know where that came from. That I don't know that that's necessarily biological because I think, I mean, if you look at evolutionarily where we came from, we were hunters and gatherers as a society first. So we'd go out and we'd kill the buffalo. We'd just eat it for three days straight. And then maybe we wouldn't eat again right. for three days. Talk about intermittent fasting. Right. <laughs> Involuntarily. <laughs> so our cultures just develop... Um, I don't know, organically. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know mm-hmm. where the three squares came from. Do you? No, I don't know. The French do follow that plus um, a late afternoon snack. Okay. So it's breakfast, lunch. I can't remember what they call it. Snack. It's like the tea time for the British. Okay. And then dinner. And they do feed their children earlier um, dinners if they're going like, to, because they don't eat dinner till like seven or eight at night. Yeah, they're late. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that you can see why they would give their child a snack between like a noon lunch mm-hmm. and like eight hours later. But then again, if they give them a snack, like she talks about sitting in a restaurant and looking at the table next to her and there is a child in a high chair. So that's like two years old or under. Mm-hmm. And that child sat happily through like six, eight courses of the meal, eating little nibbles of all the weird, crazy foods that the, the parents had until he kind of just slumped over and, happily fell asleep into the evening Hmm. so it's we've talked about this in our sleep episode you know different cultures they're putting their kids to bed at different times they're waking at different times so this is definitely heavily french culture i wouldn't Mm -hmm. have my kid out at 10 o'clock no me neither course meal (laughs) no way that's what's happening there that they're they're able they've learned to sit at the table they're able to eat all the things it's just considered normal Okay. That that's what a that's what a normal healthy child will do. I love that. Interesting. It's so beautiful. There's so many beautiful feasting and banqueting stories and metaphors in scripture. Oh yeah, our whole it's all communal and, and right. sharing a meal and all that. Right. And so it's such a like a beautiful way to live out the Christian worldview again and again and again and again all day long. Right. And so that's a great example because in America, I think we tend to eat on the go a lot and we tend to eat in the car or we tend to just grab something and eat it on the street, which in a lot of other cultures is considered extremely rude yes. to be seen eating outdoors or on the street or whatever. Yes. Um, so it's we're too, too busy for mm-hmm. the communal, for mm-hmm. the dinner table. We've heard that a lot. The family dinner table. Right. Which is like one of the rules we'll get to, I think, in the next episode. Gone by the way. It's really important to them. I'm on board for that one. All right. So food rule number one, according to Karen, is you, parent, are in charge of your children's food education. Yeah. So according to the French, this starts when children are very young, well before their first birthday. So like we were just talking about when you're introducing foods at six months old. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So they, they say, you know, eating is one of the first acts that an infant performs consciously and then independently, even before they walk and talk, a child is learning to eat. Mm-hmm. And so it's very, very important to them that you understand that you're in charge of this from the very beginning. Okay. And I felt I, that way. Yeah, I, I did too. But she, but Karen, the author, she didn't realize that when she got there, the vendors at the market, the preschool teachers, the kindergarten teachers, they were all expecting her to take charge of introducing her children to all the amazing foods that are available in the world. Mm-hmm. And her viewpoint was more like survival. What can I just get down them? Right. We're so worried. And in a quick way. And yes, she was terribly afraid of her child being hungry. I think a lot of pediatricians hear that. My my child's just not eating. Like I can't get them to eat anything and they're going to starve to death. And they're, well, if they're not underweight, if they're not below the percentiles for their age, then they're fine. Right. I mean, I just did this by common sense, Bonnie. I'm looking around my America. Mm -hmm. You know, it's 1998. Emma's one year old. I'm looking around and going, we're not starving here. Mm-hmm. It's fine to be hungry. It's It's got to be totally fine to be hungry. There, I don't know what it was back then, but an email you shared with me, Bonnie, it said one in 25 of American households experience very low food security. It's 3.9%. So there is a percentage of households that are very hungry. That's not what we're talking about in this episode. We're talking about your child just being hungry for a meal or two, not because you don't have food available, because you're trying to create hunger in them so they're more willing to try new things. There's food deserts. We could talk about that. And another time there's terrible food access in a lot of our inner cities. They don't have access to good, fresh foods. But I know how hungry, like how anxious to eat I am when I'm hungry. And I thought it's got to be the same for a child. You've got to be more open to what's available when you're really hungry. That's Mm -hmm. why you don't go shopping at the grocery store (laughs) when you're really hungry (laughs) because you'll buy a whole bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. So what did you do, Bonnie? I just said what I did. When they were young? Yeah. um, Yeah, I just gave them all the things that... I typically would, and I wouldn't make anything. I personally probably didn't like, so I probably biased them against those things from the time they were young, and that was my own fault. But they're free to choose that now, and they do. They like things I don't like now. Yeah, your kids are great eaters. Um, and they kind of always were because this is just what we're having, and this is when we're having it. No big. Oh, uh, I wouldn't say like there was no, no big, drama. Um, was there like a lot of tension? No, there wasn't any tension. There was a couple of. Now my son, I think it was my son, started out no vegetables no green vegetables he couldn't stand them but we would still have them on the table and I was just like you just one little bite one little bite and there was probably a stretch of a couple months there where if he ate any broccoli whatsoever he would make himself throw up at the dinner table (laughs) (laughs) which is not pleasant for anyone (laughs) but like we're not we're not doing that you that is not necessary that's Mm -hmm. a little dramatic come on Mm -hmm. it's just a tiny bit so we would take him out of his high chair, clean it up, and then he'd have to come back. I wouldn't force him to eat any more broccoli necessarily, but he had to stay there until the end of the meal. Oh, which is another thing they talk about. Again We're later. getting all out of order, but they, they're really big proponents on that. They don't get to just hop down. Oh, there was no up and down, up and no, down. No, there was no, and the French are like, absolutely not. Like, Mm-mm. that's a skill. That's a learned skill to sit mm-hmm. at the dinner table. Right. 
So, yeah. Well, Americans would say, isn't fostering independent eating really important in helping kids build autonomy? What do they mean by independent eating? So choosing what they want to eat, feeding themselves with their little hands, like the baby led weaning, like we were talking about. Okay. Um, because that's, I mean, I've listened to podcasts, American podcasts in preparation for this. And there's a lot of that. Mm -hmm. You want your child to be autonomous and telling you what they like and giving them the freedom to choose that. And I was just totally of the other camp that it was my responsibility to introduce my child to lots of things. Yes. And I think that's true. Um, I think I would say like on a macro level, that's true. We, as the parent introduce lots of things we're giving them all these options but then on a micro level like that example of the broccoli okay you can taste it and if you don't prefer it that's fine yes so that on a micro level is my child deciding i don't really prefer that right now doesn't mean you're never going to try it again but you don't have to eat a whole helping of it right and that and the french say say the same thing they say we're responsible for helping our children to eat all different kinds of food and learn to enjoy them so they believe eating is more than just like putting food into your mouth and swallowing. Right. They believe that eating includes manners, behaviors, eating habits, mm-hmm. and developing your taste. And it's all developed by discipline in the home. So they believe it's just as important to develop a good eater, manners, habits, tastes, all the things, as it is to develop self-esteem. And they say it is tied to self-esteem, that when you learn to be... Um, adventurous you learn to explore and try new things your self-esteem does rise it does and you're able to be more in community with other people who are doing the same thing and they they have a totally opposite viewpoint of american parents who are so like into sports and they just they're all about the sports and they want their children to do sports and the french are like you know the chances of my child being a like a really great athlete they're very low but my child is going to actually eat the rest of their lives so if (laughs) i can really create this phenomenal eater I'm going to impact their health, their happiness, their success, and their physical longevity. Right. If I can do this well. For sure affect your health. It's so wise to me. Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for that perspective. It kind of goes along. Just the eating itself, the eating of the specific foods and things itself is in the same importance of the same skill. Really, it's a skill as learning to use a spoon. Right. Or learning to not smear spaghetti all over your hair and whatever while you're, while you're you know, a one-year-old. Yeah. They say, you know, if a child refuses toilet training, you don't just say, oh, well, I don't like to use the toilet. <laughs> That's right. You, no, you just continue to try. You try different things and approaches mm-hmm. and you continue to persevere. Or they say, you know, if your child doesn't like to read, they're a reluctant reader. Well, you don't say, well, you know, reading's optional. You just don't. You're not a reader. Right. You, you love other things. Mm-hmm. No, they say food is in that category. Yeah. You're going to be doing it every day of your life, multiple times of day. Mm-hmm. It's it, critical for you to learn. I would put sleep in that category too. Yes. And eventually, I mean, our parents, I, I know young moms with young children worry about all of these topics, all of these categories, but like you don't have to get it right exactly today. Look, no. take the long view and just work on these little things. Okay, so they refuse broccoli today. Try it again tomorrow. By the time they're six, they'll probably love broccoli in lots of forms. <laughs> so like you said, yeah, just don't give up today. Yes, and I'm glad you said that because I have a note here. Uh, French psychologists and nutritionists, because they care about this so much, they've mm-hmm. systematically assessed the average number of times a child has to taste new foods before they will willingly agree to eat them. 
The average number of seven is seven, but they actually recommend between 10 and 15 so that's, times yeah. to introduce it. 15 times. And I wouldn't say 15 times like... Not all like, in a row. Yes, 15 days in a row. No. no it's like over months yes. because their taste buds are changing. Correct. Their development is changing. Yes. Yeah. So if you did broccoli once a month, that's a year and three months of Excellent. trying broccoli. Exactly. So the French have a saying, tell me what you eat and I'll tell you who you are. And, they all, and they're thinking, Karen says in her book, show me how your kid eats and I'll know what kind of parent you are. Yikes. <laughs> I love that. I love that peer pressure. It's a little indictment I love there. the peer pressure. You know, we all do the, we all do the comparison game in that in parenting. And so that's just the French version yeah. of it, you know. But it's good. To me, it's good peer pressure because it's for a really great end. All right. French food rule number two. She learned that the French are very much against emotional eating. So it's avoid emotional eating. Food is not a pacifier. It's not a distraction, a toy, a bribe, a reward, or a substitute for discipline. On occasion, probably all have done some of those with our kid. You know, you're in a desperate moment on an airplane. Give them the bowl of Cheerios for crying out loud. Right, right. <laughs> but the question is, as we say in our parenting class, what are you characterized by? Yeah. Are you characterized by using food as a pacifier? Or a distraction or a toy or a bribe. Every time you're whiny, do you give them a bottle? Every time. Oh, do you want a cookie? Oh, you must want a cookie. Right. Every time you go to the grocery store, they freaked when they when she was in the grocery store and she was giving her child a cookie mm. for being good in the grocery. <laughs> it was like audible gasps and just talking back and forth about what a horrible thing that was. It's a reward for behavior, which mm -hmm. is, I mean... That's a psychological uh, conditioning for down the yes. road. What, yes. How you're going to be when you're an adult. Yeah. A reward for behavior. I'm, I was good today, so I need to eat that pint of ice cream. You know? Oh, Think yeah. about that long term. It's not, not good. good. Not good. So, you know, food is a distraction. It looks like this. You know, you need a few minutes to yourself or your kids are complaining that they're bored. If you give them a snack to distract them, it's going to be a harder habit to break. So the, the French call that a recipe for obesity. Hmm. They're so blunt. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> you know, I, I love clarity. Today. I'm I shocked. Love, I love clarity. So the French do love to invite their children into the kitchen to cook. Yes. No, I would do they, that. They, but it's always around scheduled meal times. It's not snacky snack yeah. kind of stuff. I would do. I would do that, and I think that's a great. Um, it's actually a great tool. Gardening is another thing. If your kids can be involved in that, where their food comes from, mm. how to, you know, helping maintain the garden and get things out of the garden and then prepare the food in the kitchen, I'd set them right up on the little counter with me. Mm -hmm. And then they're way more likely to eat it or taste it. Yes. And like it. Yes. I love it. I love that. I mean, I did that too. I had one that was a real adventurous eater naturally and one that was not. And having, uh, him in the kitchen with me really went a long way. I have yeah. a picture of him sitting in my kitchen floor around Thanksgiving with the scraped out bowl of sweet potatoes mm -hmm. between his little legs. And he's just licking like the beater. <laughs> and he, that was a lot of crazy taste, right? Nutmeg, cinnamon, yeah. sweet potato, you know, all of that in there. And because I had him in there helping me, he was anxious to see what it tasted like once we got it all put together. Mm-hmm. So the French are real big for that. And it's such a relationship kind of thing, too, I think, around food. Food is very central to oh, how we're made and how we're wired. But my, I remember my brother used to sit on the counter like that with my mom. It was the red-checked Betty Crocker cookbook. 
that he took when she died. And because of those memories of her and how they used to sit and make things and uh, chocolate chip cookies and um, just all kinds of meals, he became a chef. Yeah. Was, Why are we not interviewing what he him? Did. On this. I bet oh, he's got some should. really good <laughs> thoughts on, on food because he loves all kinds of mm-hmm. all kinds of foods. Well, and then the to- uh, using food as a toy, the the French have a very deeply respectful attitude toward food. So they're very much against um, using food as a toy, like letting your child play with their food, which mm-hmm. kind of gets into the baby led weaning. They call when they set the table, they call it dressing the table. Uh-huh. They always use a tablecloth, and it's just a it's important. They treat it with respect mm-hmm. and reverence. Um, they never eat standing up in the car or on the go. And they never eat alone if there's another person around. Never. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I think that I think that would slow you down. Because when you're talking with someone and you're eating, you're taking turns. There's back and forth and you're not shoveling the food oh, into your mouth and, yeah. and things like that. Okay. I can remember having time out, though, when I was, when I had young kids and I would have a day out or an afternoon to myself and I would go to a cafe or something to read a book and have lunch. Just me. Yeah, just quiet and me and a piece, you know, and I didn't feel like I was, I guess I was socially isolating, but I just needed some yes. space and quiet. And yes. That's context. That's but, context. Okay. You had plenty of communal eating. Yeah. Up I to that point. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So French rule number three is that parents schedule the meals and the menus. The kids eat what the adults eat. No substitutes and no short order cooking. Well, we sure didn't do short order cooking. I know a lot of I parents. I didn't have time do. for that. Parents do a lot. There's a lot of moms who do short order cooking yeah. for their kids. I'm, I, I make them two or three meals. You, you in know how evening. many meals that is? How many meals that is? If, that. if you don't make two or three meals, it's thousands over the lifetime oh, of your family. No, do not no. add to your workload. No. And the French believe that scheduling your meals leads to more balanced eating habits and a healthier digestive system. So they eat later in the evening than we do. You can, mm-hmm. you know, eat when you want. But just we tried to have five meals at home a week as we were raising our children. Probably we did not hit that in the teen years. No, but I when know we, we did They were younger. Mm-hmm. We, we did. We were able to gather around the table. There is this very interesting menu in her book. She talks about walking into her daughter's kindergarten. And there's a menu on the front door. Mm-hmm. And they change it out every week. Okay. They don't have school on Wednesdays, so there's four meals. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. The entree looks like an appetizer. And then the plot principal looks like the main dish. And then they have a salad or a cheese plate. And then they have dessert. Uh Uh-huh. And each school has its own chef. And they are trying to primarily buy local ingredients. I love that. And they um, try to introduce different foods every day of the week that the children are there and then week in and week out. The the goal is awakening the taste buds. So it's none of this industrialized square pizza that we used to eat at our cafeteria and the greasy thing of French fries. Oh, it's just appalling. Yeah. Our cafeterias are appalling. <laughs> and you were like, the, the peer pressure was you don't send a lunch. So she was sending a lunch for her daughter. I always did. And the, um, yeah, well, you did because it was an American cafeteria. It'd be way better to oh, send yeah. a lunch. It was nasty. But they refused to let her. They wouldn't let her. And so she didn't eat lunch. It was weeks. The daughter? Yeah. The oh. daughter didn't eat lunch. But guess what? Then she did. Little <laughs> by little, 
she got hungry enough to learn to do it. Now, now the mom would show up after school with a snack, like, you know, right. the mercy snack right in the car because uh, she knew she was starving. But the goals for this, the French say their goals for scheduling meals and scheduling menus. And, and I think this is helpful, moms, for us to schedule menus. They don't have to be elaborate, but just to kind of plan ahead mm-hmm. so you're not stuck at five o'clock going, ah, I don't right. know what to cook, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. I got this one tomato and a jar of pickles. So. Right. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? They they believe that you're protecting your child's health and you're supporting their academic performance by the foods they're feeding them at school during the day. Mm-hmm. And they want to teach children how to cultivate good taste. They want to teach good food hygiene. And they, they look at it as an approach to culture. Like you're learning about our culture by these foods that you're eating. So you're learning reading. You're learning writing. You're learning math. You're learning science. You're learning food. Beautiful. I think that's really cool. It's just beautiful. But, you know, you're you're fighting an uphill battle if your child's going to a regular school here in America. And they have to have a cafeteria lunch for sure. They have to have a cafeteria lunch. It's gross. But you can. So in America, because we know our cafeteria it's generally are not the best um you could send a lunch and customize it for sure right send something delicious I always knew if I was going to provide something my kids might be hesitant to eat I also had something that I knew they really loved you know yeah. I wasn't trying to be a big meanie no no you're, you're wanting them. of course you're wanting them to have something I want them to, to enjoy it the goal is for them to enjoy it so I would I would only like provide one odd thing mm-hmm. that I was either suspicious or already knew. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're not going to like this. So they had other things they could eat and enjoy. And you can recycle, reuse those. You know, if the apple didn't get eaten one day, well, I'm going to put it right back in That's there the right. next day. That's right. Here we go. So the French National Ministry of Education has a quote about their perspective on this. School is a privileged place in which children are educated about good taste, nutrition, and food culture. Good taste must be taught and learned and can only be acquired over time. Believing that we awaken our children's taste buds. Hmm. Interesting. It's a long view. It is a long view. And it's it's like anything else. It's like learning, I don't know, as an adult to appreciate art or... Right. Over time. Know, literature. Or particular kinds of music. Music. Right. You know classical music is a lot more complicated it takes a little more work to Mm -hmm. listen to it and appreciate everything that's going on Mm -hmm. so yeah why wouldn't it why wouldn't you have to learn to appreciate certain tastes certain things she talked about it was very funny in her child's daycare the younger child who she said actually became a much more adventurous eater because she was younger started earlier yeah she started earlier she walked in and there were there's a room full of kids but there's four children their little chairs are all lined up one two three four and there's a teacher sitting across from them. One, two, three, four. One child to one teacher. Mm-hmm. And they were feeding them from a plate. They would not let them dig their hands into the food. And if they did, if they dug their hands into like the dipping sauce or something, they would just take their hand away and say, no, no. And if they continued to grab the food, that was disrespectful. And they put the plate away. <laughs> and they set the child down and like next child mm. got a turn. So they were not allowed to make a mess when they were eating. So she describes watching these pretty young children learning to sit on their bottoms, face forward towards their plate so that things that they drop mostly fall back onto their plate or their tray. Mm -hmm. And it's not all over the floor. Her French mother-in-law thought she was insane. She would put a garbage bag below the high chair (laughs) because the food just went everywhere. Uh That was so anti-French. 
way of thinking that's not respectful Mm -hmm. of the food. Just so, so interesting. I probably operated that way. I don't think, God, I didn't want to clean up a mess later on. I know, I didn't either. I mean, you want to save yourself that time. And it's not teaching them how to behave like you want them to behave. It's just... It's the one redeeming factor of a dog when you have small children. (sighs) When the food drops to the floor, they clean it up. (laughs) Yes. So, um, okay, those are our first three rules. Stay tuned for more rules and more French food tips coming up. But let's talk about taste buds briefly because the French are saying, okay, you are awakening your child's taste buds by what you feed to them. So let's talk about the science of taste buds for a Mm -hmm. minute before we close. A Guardian article from 2013 noted that infants have around 30,000 taste buds spread throughout their mouths. And by the time we hit adulthood, only about a third of these remain and mostly on our tongues. So eating is a very intense experience for young children. So I also knew this, that the broccoli is going to taste more of everything that makes broccoli taste. So that sulfur taste from cabbage and broccoli, it's going to be stronger to Ben. Right. Than it would be for me. Which is why you go, oh, I need to introduce this when he's five and eight and 10 Mm -hmm. because his mouth is changing. That's right. He's going to perceive it differently. We just don't say at age four, oh, he's never going to eat broccoli again. Right. So for those Mexican children that you saw dumping pickled jalapenos (laughs) into their, if their tastes are more intense, then my goodness, what what were they tasting with all the corn chips with that stuff? Conditioning, isn't it? Wow. And the ba- a baby's taste buds are configured in line with their craving for fat and sugar-packed milk. So they need more calories in relation to their body weight than at any other time in our lives. So salty flavors, sour flavors, they're not even on their radar yet. That's why they say don't salt baby food if you're making it at home. They don't yet. really need it. Right. And interestingly umami which is the popular flavor that's thrown around on all the cooking shows today is abundant in breast milk oh so there is this umami flavor going on when you breastfeed your children so interesting Uh yeah so it's not until puberty really that they lose that right kind of extremely sweet right bent and the reason they don't often eat their greens is because that bitter note might be amplified that's really interesting so don't like blame them and make them sit at the table and clean their plate it's really it's harder it's a little a bit strong for them. strong yeah. flavor yeah that's, i think jerry seinfeld's wife had a cookbook when our, we were raising our did. children and she had to disguise vegetables yeah she would disguise the vegetables she would put sugar in those very strong vegetables which you know in the south we put sugar on green beans sugar on coleslaw <laughs> we put sugar on everything <laughs> So I'm not, not recommended, but I know yeah. you can take that or leave it. But mm-hmm. by the time our children's palates, you know, they're in preteen and teen years and they're the palates are more kind of permanently what they're going to look like. Mm-hmm. If you've created all this negative energy around eating or forcing them to try foods, they're probably just not going to do it. Right. And if you have just never let them try foods. Not not the negative energy, but if you've just given in to the, nope, nope, I only like the nuggets, or I only like the plain spaghetti, they will not have developed any of the taste. I know. we have Our children have friends. Our children are in their 20s mm-hmm. who were raised this way, mm-hmm. and they eat like six things. And they're missing out. They're missing out. <laughs> it's not, I feel like their parents did them a disservice. Yeah. 
by by doing that so don't do that to your kids so much good out there to enjoy in the world so i i just i love food did you know i love food bonnie i've heard that about you (laughs) i just there's such a so much beautiful teaching about food in scripture and god is all about feasting you know he's all about celebrating and he even involves uh, us in this process so when he was telling israel you know you need to bring your tithe of your produce every year to the temple. The first fruits. Yeah. And okay. he says, okay, but if it's too far, if that's like too hard for you to do, if it's too far, you can sell those vegetables, bring the money. And then when you get to the temple and choose whatever you want, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink and anything you wish. And you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord, your God and rejoice. And you're to share it with other people like the Levites who don't have property of their own. So eating and rejoicing and banqueting are all biblical images of the way God wants our world world to work. Yeah. That's why it's so important to me. It's like a beautiful description. It's a living out of the garden Mm -hmm. of Eden Mm -hmm. with our children. So I hope that... We've given you some food for thought. Yeah. See what I did there, I did see that, yeah. (laughs) Really clever of you. Um, And we're going to come back um, with two more, at least two more. At least two more. I got so many things to say about this. Series. You're going to have to stop me. I think it'll be interesting. There's a lot more to add, especially when it comes to um, sort of practical stuff down the road. But we're going to put all these resources on our website at justaskyourmom.com. You can also find us on Just Ask Your Mom on Facebook or at Just Ask Your Mom podcast on Instagram. And if you rate and leave a review on our podcast, it helps people find us. We'll pop to the top. And if you subscribe, you'll get a new episode every Monday. Send us your questions and topic suggestions to justaskyourmompodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on Just Just Ask Ask Your Your Mom. Mom.